pilot said we were over a thousand miles off course. There are nowhere to look. I'm one of the survivors of Oceanic Flight 815. Sit tight. We'll be right there. It's happening. We're going to get off of this island. Are we really going home? Yeah, we're really going home. I can't believe I'm actually going to have my baby in a hospital. When we get rescued and I go back, I'm going to be free. We can't let them get in touch with our boat. The people on the boat aren't who they say they are. Rescuing your people can't really say it's our primary objective. Then what is? Whatever they came for, it isn't us. Every single living person on this island will be killed. Yeah, I was thinking I was going to get a good night's sleep. There's a traitor in your midst. Let go of me! You want to know why we're here? I'll tell you why we're here. You really don't stand a chance ah! now. No! Goodbye, Benjamin. There isn't much time. If you want to live, you need to come with me. What are you doing? Same thing I've always done, Kate. Surviving. We made a mistake. We were not supposed to leave. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back! Lost the Return, Thursday, January 31st on ABC. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recap. Still picking up the missing pieces. But as you heard at the start of the show, we are so close to season four. We are one week away to season four in the podcast. Of course, that is a clip of a season four preview trailer from Once Upon a Time, but not the show Once Upon a Time, which Once Upon a Time, Mike Bloom hosted a podcast about with Kirk Clark. Mike Bloom. Best trailer ever. <laughs> it's, a, I mean, it's really epic. Uh, it's incredible, especially since you said, like, the end of season three is such a seminal, as you've said many times, closing of the book for Lost. Like, this is an incredible book jacket preview of yes. what book two has to offer. Jacket. Uh, yes. And I think, like, um, one of the things that that just brought into, into, into clarity for me, which I, I really appreciate, uh, having that at the top of this podcast as we're like doing a little bit of forecasting towards season four is this idea that season four is about um you know it takes place over a very short period of time and it's about Mm -hmm. these people who are like it's all it's all gonna be okay now it's all gonna be all right and how wrong they all are uh and if if that's not (laughs) you know something that i think uh is is culturally relevant i think i think it's really interesting i think it's i think it's a really compelling um story arc to talk about so uh i'm really excited it was great that i mean that's our first our first sound uh, our first like audio appearance of daniel faraday on down the Uh hatch i believe 
And, and Miles shows up in there mm-hmm. as well. He's the one who yells, uh, you know, you really want to know why we're here. Oh, I know. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. And we're going to yeah. find out more about that. But yeah, I mean, season four, we're going to get into this later on. We'll preview season four proper. Because as Josh said, we have some missing pieces to clean up uh, before we forecast things. Hopefully not in an arse-like fashion. Hopefully have a bit more clout than him. Yes. But it is so interesting, the duality of season four, where the island expresses so much I don't know, hope or just like unawareness of what's to come. And then coupling this with now flash forwards, which are now a reality in the show and seeing, you know, what befell the Oceanic Six, how they've changed due to, for the most part, the tragedies that they have suffered, uh, you know, since leaving the island. It's, it's a really interesting, you know, disparate atmosphere that yeah. I think is, is going to be so much fun to reflect on as we begin to see over the course of season four, how did we get to the point that we end season three? How did I get there? Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're going to go through all of that towards the end of the podcast. We'll, we'll really like set stakes down for how we're feeling about season four, but let's, let's wrap up the missing pieces. Cause we, we ended on, on such a cliffhanger last week, Mike, uh, we ended, uh, we ended in Arston Crafts. Mm-hmm. Which we- and this is not our last appearance of, of Leslie Arst. We should also mention here that for those that did not check out the missing pieces back in the day, the thing about the missing pieces were that they were released, I'd say like every six to seven days uh, leading up to the season four premiere uh, as the the clip so lovely put in the beginning of this podcast season four premiered on January 31st, 2008. This ran all the way up to January 28th, 2008. Mm. And Josh, we're, we're starting with the holidays. Uh, I believe the first one that we're going to talk about aired on Christmas Eve, 2007. Is that right? Definitely less of a lovely phone call or uh, something to watch than the one that Desmond calls Penny, which we'll be talking about in like a month and a half, Josh. This is exciting. We are very close to that. All right. So without further ado, just to just to tell you very quickly, uh, next week, season four premiere. This is the last of those little in between bonus periods. We're getting back into the full rewatch starting next week. So get your feedback in down the hatch at post show recaps. Dot com, but today we are talking about the, the final six missing pieces and to reset where we are with those, I'll give you the rankings of the missing pieces from worst to first as it currently stands. Our least favorite is the adventures of Hurley and Frogert. We did hear some feedback that was like, Hey, why do you guys hate the adventures of Hurley and Frogert? Don't you like fun? It's like, yeah, we do love fun. This one wasn't that fun for me. I, I don't know. I think their I definition fun. of fun might be a little bit different than I ours. love the idea. I love the idea of a I think like you, you think about it as hard as we've had to think about it when we're doing all these podcasts and you're like, I know exactly when that takes place and Libby just got shot. That's not fun. Uh, so your definition of fun may vary, but we love fun around here. So the adventures Absolutely. of Hurley and Frogert bringing up the rear, followed by Arston Crafts. These are the two that we said we would kill with fire. Uh, we would prefer them not to kill exist. Kill with fire arrow specifically yes. in honor of Frogert. Yes, uh, those are the two that we prefer not to exist. And then there were five that we would send to Guam to exist in continuity, including the deal. Mm-hmm. Which I believe is the uh, the Michael Juliet scene. Yes. Uh, Operation Sleeper, which is the Juliet scene, which was tied with the watch. Um, but enough feedback came in that I believe the watch 
is uh, is pushed past Operation right. Sleeper. So, which Operation Sleeper is uh, Juliet coming clean to Jack mm-hmm. about being a mole? Clean. Yes. And the watch is uh, the day of Jack's wedding to Sarah. Uh, Christian Sarah. gives Jack a little bit of a, an early wedding present. Uh, and then Room Twenty Three, and then King of the Castle. These are the the that's the second and the first. So Room Twenty Three is Walt going ham on some birds, and Juliet <laughs> being like, "We bit off more than we could chew, guy." Uh, and then King of the Castle is Ben and Jack playing chess. Um, so we launch into the remaining portion of the missing pieces. And I think we've said like we would, we would take or leave most of missing pieces. I think in the final accounting, my guess is going to be that we skew slightly in favor of going to Guam. Is how mm-hmm. I is how I think it's going to. So we're shake skewing out. towards coming with rather than leaving. Yeah, I think ultimately we will. But let's find out if that's true. Uh, I think with the first one, we'll add another one to the kill it with fire list. Uh, so this is buried secrets. It's written by Christina M. Kim. Uh, focuses on Michael and Son takes place during season one. Um, Jim Fells is going to note that Son and Michael's outfits place this one on the day of. Ooh, in translation. Mm-hmm. Um, big, ep- big episode for both Son and Michael. This is where uh, the Roft, Roft 1.0 gets burned. Right. This is where I believe this takes place immediately right before Son goes in the water and Jin yells at her. But as we're going to find out, Jin doesn't realize it. He may have had a very good reason right. to be angry with Son. All right. So let's let's listen in. This is Buried Secrets. I'm sorry. I was looking for Vincent. I didn't mean to scare you. You okay? Yes, I'm. I'm fine. I just. I just needed a moment by myself. Hey, you sure you okay? I was just. No, 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 no. You, you don't have to explain. I was going to leave him. I was going to leave Jim and start a new life in America. But I changed my mind at the airport because I was afraid. It's, it's, We're getting off this island any day now. Things will change. Bill, 
It's too late. This place. It's my punishment. It's my destiny. No. Maybe you should talk to him. He's not the man I fell in love with. If he just needs a little time, it's been hard on all of us. It's okay. You'll be okay. be hard to know exactly it was like wait did they just have a moment and it's like yeah not only did they just have a moment but son and michael almost mo'd i hate in the middle this. of the jungle I, josh i i know stefan stefan johnson the great stefan johnson really sums this up well i think stefan wrote in is like sun kissing michael feels like bad fan fiction uh, sure there was set up, but it doesn't seem in character for either of them. Here's the other piece of that, which I com- I could not agree with that harder. Uh, what Stefan just said. Um, it is it is not just bad fanfic. Uh, it's like that's the kind of thing that if that were ever going to happen, you got to show us that. And so like you can't just like relegate that to a a freaking webisode. That's son and that's son and Michael making out or al- making out or almost making out. Like that doesn't just like happen in a in a vacuum, you know? Well, I just wish it never existed. Oh, to sure. That yeah, that would be my pref. It's it's horrendous character assassination, in my opinion, on both of their parts. I just I am baffled, Josh. I am baffled. This is a relationship that they very clearly and very consciously said, nah, we're going to tease this like, a little bit good. in season one, and they're like, you know what, we're good. Yeah. You know, we have this moment where Son and Michael like awkwardly engage each other during the raft launch. That's sort of the last that we're going to save it. Why on Jacob's green earth do you decide to go back to this thing that you yourself admitted did not work? Wasn't good. And, and just dig that hole further to the further, point where you're digging deeper. yourself like a, a tiger trap. Like a buried only- secret. Well, not only that, like a lot of this, you know, we're going to a lot of Michael Dawson. We talked about last time. We're going to see more Michael Dawson coming up as well. Coming coming up. Um, You would say like, okay, well, this is building up something for season four. No, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Michael and son do not see each other in season four until the the finale. finale. Yeah, they they, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But but Michael's not like, hey, son, looking good. Let's MO some more, you know, in the captain's office. This makes no sense. It was needless. It was pointless, and not only that, it is absolutely a negative blemish upon these characters, especially, you know how much I love Sun Quan. Of course. This is a terrible look for Sun Quan, especially on the island. She was really, like, coming to terms with the relationship. You know, there was a lot of negotiation going on with the whole speak English thing, but for her to outright, like, seemingly nearly embrace, quite literally, this relationship with Michael feels like a step too far to me. This thing makes me boil yeah. on the inside it just feels it just it, it's 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 both the it does the uh the double in double indemnity of being 
both pointless, but also like because it exists and it technically is canon, it just worsens some of these characters. Yeah, but we're killing it with fire arrows, so it's no longer canon. It never happened. It's not real. It's the worst of them so far. I would say this is even worse than the Neil and Hurley are, are going to like, hey, what are you going to do? When are you going to make your move on Libby? Because ultimately that's harmless. It's like misguided, but harmless. Yeah, exactly. And this is and there's also like, I don't understand from Sun's perspective why she's telling Michael like the other the other thing as well is that the writing is not very good. In my opinion, apologies you, to Christina M. Kim. No, I, I, I think it's a combination of that and then and um and Yunjin Kim and and Harold Perrineau like having a hard time kind of selling it beyond it being like a private acting exercise that they would do like just like to get each other amped up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this feels like something that happens before the cameras start rolling. Just like, here's just like a little quick scene we've written to like get ourselves in character for the actual thing. Um, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be like a thing that they actually had to film. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a little bit of an expo dump as well, right? Sun has to basically be like, hey, here are the events of the flashback in House of the Rising Sun, just right. so you yes, know Michael. That's what I mean. Just, yes, exactly. And just, so, just so everyone remembers. And it just feels, it feels very clunky. It feels odd to clunky. me. That, yeah, exactly. Uh, that Sun has the opinion of like, oh, you know, uh, this is my punishment because Jin is going to express that to her later on not to say that they they can't have the same opinion but that always felt more gin than sun to me i will say uh harold perrineau looking pretty fit uh we forget you know his season four look is a very different looking michael as well and you can tell that through the uh, looking michael yeah and that uh going off island you know michael maybe started hitting the p90x a bit (laughs) (laughs) that's an incredible idea All right, I'm back, son, and I'm shredded. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I needed to come back for you. I've been on my Peloton bike. (laughs) Exactly. This is like the weirder version of that Peloton commercial from a couple of years ago of like, well, I'm depressed. My son left me. You know, Tom Friendly tells me I have to go back to the island. I can't die. Like, might as well get ripped. Folks, it brings me no pleasure to really dislike this one, but I I just, I I don't, I don't care for it. I don't like it. I think it's, I think it's actively bad. I, think I mean, I'll, I will be safe. To, I think it's safe to say this is going to be the worst one. Out of all um, of I'm just I'm just trying to think. I think probably yes. Yeah, I would the, say the, yes. The, the other ones, even if they're not of like great quality, yeah. are not, again, like impugning yeah. currently existing characters. I just had to like, look at them really quickly. I just needed them in front of my face, my face hole. And then I looked at them and I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is the worst one. Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't get worse than this, I don't think, but this, this is really bad. This, like, this one is so bad that, like, I would almost, if it were, like, to be, like, this versus, like, the best one, I'd be like, don't do these. Mm, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's one of these things that's like, let's the just. The worst try- one is worse than the best one is best. Yeah. Like, oh, Christina, you know, Yunjim, Harold, so great that you were able to work on this. Just so you know, I think we're going to, like, leave this one buried with Sun's driver's yeah, license. We're not, we don't need to uncover this one, but thank you so much for coming in and, you know, getting your day rate for, yeah. for filming this one. Um, all right, so the next one is another one that I don't really care for that much. Uh, it is it is Tropical Depression. This is written by Carlton Cuse. It is uh, originally it aired on New Year's Eve 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is going to feature uh, Michael once again. And Dr. Leslie Arst once again. Which I believe this might be Daniel Roebuck's final appearance on Lost until the final season, until the Dr. Linus of it. Oh all. my God, is that right? Yeah, because I, I mean, they, yeah. since we're not really in flashback land, yeah. we're not going to see him in seasons four and five. Yeah, what other reason would we have? 
Yeah. Yeah. So point. let's let's cherish the Arst for now. And man, we are going to see a very different side of Arst in many ways in Tropical Depression. Sorry for you and all, but you know, take a look around. Everybody on this beach has got a story just like yours. Think any of us want to be here? No, I know nobody does. I'm, I'm really sorry that I lied about the mother. It's okay. Raft is finished. We're getting out of here. We're going to bring back help. You are. I know you are. I know you are. And I am going to be the first one on the beach waving hello when we get there. Okay, man. Okay. Take care. Harmless. Daniel Roebuck, very sweet. Uh, you know, a very, very funny performance from Daniel Robes. Uh, and I, I like, uh, you know, Michael being one being like, you know, we all got some issues, man. Um, yeah. Have but, you checked out all of our flashback episodes? Okay. So here's, here's my thing, Josh. Yeah. I wonder if this we've got g- the same thing. This is going to be sound a little callous. I don't know if I want to pity Arst. Yeah. Like, I, from a, just from a comedic perspective, I kind of like it so much more when he is like the guy we can perennially dunk on. Yeah, sure. You know, the the guy who thinks like, oh, you know, hey, a stupid idiot, stop with the dynamite. Oh, I'm collecting spiders, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. And right, to right, have him yes. sort of have this backstory, it does color in the character a bit more uh, and, and definitely dimensionalize him a bit. 
but I don't know if I want that because now I feel a little bit sad dunking on Ars sometimes, knowing you know the this very sad, lonely existence that he lives. Right. There's that, and then I also know that like you know there was like the continuity error about the like the South wins and you gotta go now and all of that stupid stuff. But I, and I know that Jim Fells notes this too in his feedback for us uh-huh. um, that this is clearly just a way to explain a minor plot hole. Um, but like I think like. It, I don't know if I need it. I think ultimately I would set this one on fire. Um, but I think like I would set it on fire like relatively lightly. Uh, yeah, just like a, a, a simple char on this yeah, one. Yeah, a light I think, char, yeah, I think. It's, it's again, it's not character assassination. I think it's entertaining enough. Uh, you know, I, I do really kind of feel bad for Ars Tier. It's all interesting. Is that the music from the end of Everybody Hates Hugo? I the, believe like, so. The ukulele believe piano right. duet of Hayward yeah. delivering the, yeah. the food. So it's an interesting, like, lighter tone. Uh, you know, the Ars catfishing someone is an uh, interesting yeah. concept. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that, like, um, the whole gag is that Lindelof wanted to like dunk on his old uh, science teacher uh, with the with the Arst character, and that this was a, a way of him getting revenge on a teacher that he hated from way back in the day. Uh, and so on on that like tip, like it is kind of funny, right? Like it's kind of funny yeah. that like they're just like making him just like the worst of the guys. Um, but like I feel like Arst is one of those characters who is really used best sparingly, mm-hmm. and. And so, like, if you're going to bust out some Arst content, like, I think it really just ought to be, like, very, 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 like, openly, obviously, objectively very good. Um, and this this ain't that for me. It's ultimately fine. Yeah, it's it's fine veering on the side of, like, I don't know if we necessarily need it. Right. Uh, I know that there was also Jim Fells wrote this in that there was certainly some speculation at the time when I think people looked into these as, like, bigger mysteries as to who was our mystery woman who like not even dine and dash just flat out dashed at their date i know that there was some talk of course because there was still libby on the brain despite right. cynthia watchers being off the show of like oh okay was this libby Josh, well yeah that- at this point they'd still said like uh we're not done uh we're not done with libby right right like, and so, and so at does- that point does that sync up, Josh, with your time-traveling Dave marrying Libby theory? I don't think it does, especially. No, no, I don't really know where that would, uh, where that would, <laughs> I'm having a hard time fitting that into uh, what I've already locked in as canon, Mike. Uh, so I'm not sure that I can abide that arse, unless you've got a, a thought. No, I'm trying to think about, like, what other, what other person do you think, like, what other famous Australian female Nicole face? Nicole Kidman. Could have been Nicole Kidman. Yeah, Maybe he, you know what it, no, you know, you know what it is. She's the only one uh, that he that he was catfishing with his buddy's Nick's picture, and his partner was catfishing him with a picture of Nicole Kidman. Yes, and so yes. Ars thought he was going on a date with Nicole. Oddly, Kidman. that it was the same Nick, uh, Nicole Kidman, and mm. and Nick. Yeah, I'd be like, Kidman. oh, it's perfect, Nick and Nicole. Yeah, that's the name of the spinoff that almost was that the ex was a producer would have made if he hadn't been killed. Oh, maybe it was the expose producer. Could be. Oh, you know what it was? Actually, speaking of Nick, could have been Nick Key. What if Arst? Ooh, yes. Oh, I like it. What if Arst was uh, the uh, like the science consultant on Expose? Oh, well, listen, I mean, even he admits that I think he sort of is a uh, blows a lot of hot air to use a monsoon piece of terminology. So maybe the show would not have that much credibility. I do like that as well. Sort of like acknowledging the fact that 
arsed in his limited time on the show so far seemed to seemingly know like an infinite amount of everything between the spiders and between monsoons and between the invention of dynamite. So it's it's nice to acknowledge at least that like no, he is a little bit of like a, a gas bag. Yeah, as I mean, my guy also blew up. Right, yeah, I, you know, I, I, and I love that line as well of him being like, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to be on the beach waving goodbye to you." No, you won't. You're going to be going into no, the jungle on dead. a bigger mission. You'll be dead. Yeah, uh, that ain't happening, guy. All right, so that's that's tropical depression. I think I would slot that in at the top of the kill it with fire pile. So like right on the cusp of going to Guam, ultimately getting killed with mm-hmm. fire arrows. But like as you said, it's a light char. Yeah, and I and I think that. It's better than Arston Craft, and that Arston Craft, I think, just brought up so many questions as to the timing of it all, and honestly, created more holes than it really covered up. And I think Tropical Depression at least doesn't do that. It aims to cover up more than it digs up. So it's it's got to edge it out above. There's two Arst back-to-back clips here. Just a touch. All right, so we're going to go back to more some, some more Season 1 stuff, right? Uh, the next one, it's written by Damon Lindelof. Uh, it's the first official lost content of 2008. It's Jack meet Ethan. Ethan, Jack. You're the doctor, right? Yeah, that's me. Well, I heard you were rounding up the medicine, so I figured... I want this. <laughs> Jackpot, right? You must have been out of contact or something. Where'd you find this? In the jungle. I mean, by the way. Jack. Thanks, Jack. What? Getting all this together, having a little perspective, you know? Taking a long time. Most of them still think we're going to get rescued any time now. I mean, you think I don't? No, I think you're smart. And I think you're looking at that girl. Knowing you might actually have to deliver that baby here. I know that's what I'm thinking. Well, it's nice to know I'm not alone. You're definitely not alone. If she does go into labor, at least I know I've got an assistant. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Try to worry about it. Anyway, I'm glad to meet you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Jack, um, my wife died in childbirth, and our uh, our baby didn't make it either. Well, let's hope we're both wrong, and the rescue boats are on the way right now. Let's hope. Now we're talking. Mm -hmm. So it takes place during season one. Obviously, it's Ethan, like, 
whether you want to believe him that he's authentically opening up, I think uh, there's reason to to believe that maybe that's the case. At least it's a story that's fairly consistent with a lot of the stories you hear about what's going on on the island of like. Yeah, man, and he was also uh, the the only or the last time a baby was successfully born on the island. So maybe he does think to a certain extent like this hey, is my fault. Some, some, yeah, something good's in my blood. Maybe uh, you know, despite all these other women dying, maybe because I'm sort of lucky in that regard, we'll be able to have a baby here. No, but I also think it's also very equally possible that because Ethan is a psychopath, yeah. he makes up this entire story to create an excuse as to why like he's so particularly interested in Claire. Yeah. Almost like a cover-up to Jack of like, oh, no, no, no. The reason why I'm so concerned about the pregnant woman is because I have this previous life experience. Yes. Uh, so I think there's there's like, a, you take it at face value and it's and it's pretty interesting. You take it not at face value and it's, a, and I think like the fact that they had some measure of interaction makes sense. Um, and I, and I, I really like it too because my first thought when I watched this was like, I don't know, does this remove the whole Ethan reveal mystery because you thought it was just like this random guy in the crowd? But I think from a Jack and Ethan perspective, I love the fact that they meet each other. The fact that these are really the only two doctors on the island, right? We 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 Jack finds out after the fact, you know, we did have a doctor. His name is Ethan. Uh, he doesn't really meet him face to face, at least we think in that moment. So to have Jack sort of commiserate with him without even knowing who he is is a lot of fun. So many not double entendres, but I guess like words that are more echoing in meaning. Like, it's nice to know that I'm not alone. You're oh, you're definitely, definitely not alone. alone. Yeah, that's fun. I like that. Yeah, I, And I love the fact also, like, let's remember, this is the dude who is just going to farkus the crap out yes. of Jack several days from now after he takes Claire to have them do this, like, seemingly peaceful meet right now. Again, we talked about this last time with one of the missing secrets or uh, missing pieces. You can imagine that, like, I wonder how much of this conversation is playing through Jack's head right. when they realize that Ethan kidnapped Claire, right? That then maybe this is the first sign to Jack of, okay, do not trust everyone because there are betrayers in your camp. There's that. And then also, um, you know, I think one of the things that, like, if these are all, like, designed to do some measure of retconning, right, of, like, uh, explaining literally missing pieces right of like explaining um you know things that happened previously in the show that feel a little wonky um one thing that i like about this one is that like how how does how did the survivors of oceanic 815 have enough medical supplies to like keep themselves going uh and so like the idea that like ethan saddles them up with like oh well look what i found you know yeah, and so and so i'm assuming we have the same theory here right which is like he's ethan just looking, he's got, looking had, him up with a supply yeah. yeah he's got they had dharma medical supplies whether he went rogue or like was offered some from the staff he ends up putting them in like random prescription bottles is like oh look at this random suitcase that i found surely right. this will help you with the pregnant woman that we're trying to track right now right so i like that i think that that's i just think that's a good flourish that like if you're going to use this as a space to just like fill some of that stuff in uh i think that this one i'm i'm fine with the way that they fill that in i i ultimately think it's think it's pretty good so i like this one i think uh now comes the trickier part of we're gonna send it to guam for sure jack but Ethan. where does it lie where does it where does it lie i would say uh we can we could just start from from the bottom it's definitely higher than the deal i would say yes. Yes. um do you do you like it more or less than operation sleeper 
I like it a smidge more. I do too. Yeah, I, I, but I don't know if I like it as much as the watch. I do. I prefer it. I prefer it to the watch. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it feels a little like this feels more like a scene from Lost than the mm. watch does. The watch feels like a home video. You know, the watch, like it's the first one and it sort of has that like really low fi bootleg quality. Whereas this feels like season one of Lost. This one yeah. feels like it's from the show. Uh, I think that I would, I would put it right beneath room 23. I can live with that. I think the watch also, like both of these have sort of things that will bear fruit later on for Jack, but this more pertinently fits in with like the island mythos than the watch, which will have definitely reverberations throughout the rest of the series. But I do think that, you know, this answers some questions that maybe we've been asking, creates some like delightful in retrospect conversations. And it's also like a fantastic appearance from William Mapather, who similar, as you said to Daniel Roebuck, like the use of Ethan in, in bits and pieces, as it were, I think is done really effectively after his death in season one. And this is another example of that. All right. So we've got, the next one. And my God, am I so excited. Uh, here we go. It's called Jin has a temper tantrum on the golf course. Be prepared. This is an experience. Hope okay. you all know Korean. Yes. All right, Jin. You sink this putt, you in. He can't understand you. You can feel me, dude. You can feel me. Yes! Congratulations, dude. That's right, Jane. You'll get him next time. It's okay, man. It's only a game. You can't feel it. I think I heard her names in there somewhere. Maybe we should do something. Ah, we should take a break from golf for a while. <laughs> shouldn't they call this unhappy gilmore yeah i mean it really is so like effectively what's happened for those who are just listening and aren't going back and watching them uh Jin is out with hurley and michael playing golf on the golf course and uh Jin has to like sink a putt in order to 
to uh, win, otherwise, or at least in order to prevent Michael from winning. I obviously don't know how this works. Um, and alas, <laughs> it does it doesn't go in. And so he does the whole, are you too good for your home? You know, he does the whole thing and he starts talking about how alone he is and how nothing's mm-hmm. going right for him here and how everything is so miserable. I hate this horrible island. I Why doesn't anybody understand me? All I wanted was one moment of happiness. Why can't I, I just wanted to win golf and like, I can't even have that. Uh, and it, this one to me, has a lot going on. This one has everything. For me, for me, Mike, first of all, it is literally called Jin has a temper tantrum on the golf course. It has the best title of any of them for sure. Uh, and it is, uh, it is, it is like signaling that like, if you're watching all of these and the only thing you're hoping is like mythological satisfaction, then you're watching them for the wrong reasons. And certainly like you cannot be, uh, uh, reasonably, uh, angry at anyone if you watched Jin has a temper tantrum on the golf course thinking that you were going to get a, myth- a mythologically significant episode. Right. You weren't expecting like the smoke monster to come up and be like, this is who I actually am. Like it was right. all veiled in Jin has a temper tantrum on the golf course. Yeah, so like that is like very cards up. This one's going to be about Jin having a temper tantrum on the golf course. So I appreciate like the cards up nature of it. Mm-hmm. I also think that like it signals that it's going to be like a, a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, and I also think that in, in, the, in the thick of that, it also is like emotional and moving for the character. And again, Stefan, uh, with great feedback here saying, I know that Jin freaking out is supposed to be played for a laugh, but it hits me hard. Being surrounded by people who don't speak the same language as you is like small daily torture. Um, so I think that like this, this is a moment where you're really feeling like that full break for Jin. And I think like, if you're going to place this in the timeline, right? This is, does this appear? This is, uh, this is, so this is Deus Ex Machina. This is day 41. This is the same day as uh, Boone and Locke discover the beach craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so at this point, um, like, I guess like it's before, uh, no, this is, so this, this is, is after, so this, this is after he's been uh, unfairly blamed for, for raft. 1. But he's 0. like, he's started working on the raft again. So now he's working with Michael and now he's yeah. separate from, from son. And so you assume that they're taking like, all right, well, let's do some R and R. We've been working a lot on the raft. Let's take a day off. And so he's been working so hard to get out of here. Uh, this is what happens, you know? Yeah. So, I, mean, and, I, do, and Daniel, I really do feel it. I definitely do. Daniel Day Kim does a really great job here. As you and Stefan put it, it's like able to broach that both comedy and drama mask in that, you know, what Daniel Day Kim is doing physically is so great. Like he is jumping around. He's like, he is the most animated we have ever seen Jin ever. But when you look at the dialogue, which is also very interesting, it actually breaks the conventionality where usually when you have characters speaking Korean, they only subtitle it when there's another character in the scene who knows Korean. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when Jin and Sun are speaking with one another or all the flashbacks during their scenes. Right. Every other time it's not subtitled. But I love the choice to do it here because the writing is so multidimensional, right? Like it could be played as the eponymous uh, temper tantrum would state. But as you said, when you're looking into like, you know, why can't I be happy? Uh, you know, why, why, what's going on? Don't look at me with those pretty eyes. It says I've beaten men for lesser offenses, uh-huh, uh, sort of yeah. like lashing out in a way that season one Jin did. And then ending with I'm so alone is just a great microcosm of like, 
how Jin feels at this point, especially this is post in translation. Now he knows that Sun knows English. And yes. I think that alienation is now starting to really bubble up to the surface. So I think, it is I think the name, nuanced. I think the title really betrays like an actually fairly sharp character exploration. I, th- I, I really think that this is the best one. I think that this is the mm. best of the missing pieces. I think it is, it is, uh, it's got, it's got everything you want. It's, it's funny. It's, it's actually pretty emotional and it's, inoffensive to the continuity uh it does nothing wrong to the continuity at all and it is the best uh i think it it is arguably the best performance of any of them uh from daniel day kim uh so i you're gonna have to convince me that this isn't the very best of the of the list i'm gonna i'm gonna argue it for it being number two i still think king of the castle is the best one in that you know, King of the Castle has what what you were just talking about. It has two very electric performances. It has moments that we never really saw before in that those two leaders, these two men that will be so important in each other's lives, playing this literal and metaphoric game of chess together. It is looking forward immensely to what the second half of Lost is going to be. And so I think with that piece of canon and the mythos ascribed to King of the Castle, it's going to nudge out. Uh, Jin throws a temper tantrum on the golf course. Jin throws a temper tantrum on the golf course is really the Trisha Tanaka is dead. Um, yes. These missing pieces, right? Yes. That it is fun and flighty, but also surprisingly deep. But that being said, I do think that King of the Castle is not only more important, it is the one that personally sticks with me longer. And so I personally would put it slightly above Jin. Jin has a temper tantrum, but that would be the clear number two. Are you open for this one being another tie break situation? Because, sure, let's make it a tie right now. Yeah, because because for me, I I think like uh like what I've been you know what I've been feeling about lost for a couple of years now has been like this re- this 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 you know rectifying and squaring up of this idea that like it's all about the characters. It's all about the characters. It's about the performances. It's about the journey you're on with them. And I and I feel the points that you're making about King of the Castle, and I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I think that like scenes like King of the Castle, th- it's very good uh, in the in the grand scheme of things. But like I feel like those are like kind of like a dime a dozen on on Lost, and especially now as we're turning the page and moving in to the second half of the show, stuff like Jin having a temper tantrum on the golf course is going to go away. Uh, so I don't know. This this has always been the one when I think of the missing pieces. This is always the one that I think of. Uh, but I would also I, I would I would disagree that I don't think we're going to have characters sit down and play chess anytime soon in the next. We're going to have this, characters uh, sit down and play Risk in uh, yeah. in like nine episodes. Yeah, but I also think that like those are moments are few and far between. You know, I, I think that King of the Castle also has a little bit of that element of like. Here are characters chilling out and extolling their virtues to each other while also talking about sort of the higher causes and what's to come. That being said, I really like them both. I think this is a clear number one and number two for me. For now, I think your yeah. mileage may vary as to what you prefer. Uh, so let's let's hear. Uh, send send it in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We'll tally the votes and you can decide which one is the better of the two. And then I think at the very least, let's have a conversation in uh, not this very next one, but the final one. Uh, is there one that's going to trump them both? So we are mm-hmm. we're, we're still in the hunt. So here we go. The envelope is up next. This one is the writing credits are interesting, huh? So this so, is yeah. So this is written by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof because this one's a little bit of a unicorn. This is just technically a deleted scene. 
from the season three premiere. I don't think this is outright a missing piece. I think they decided to fashion a season three deleted scene into a missing piece. I think so as well. So it's called The Envelope uh, Story by Damon Lindelof, teleplay by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof, uh, centering on Juliet and uh, taking place during the events of that first scene from season three, from uh, when right before Oceanic crashes. So let's listen in and see if uh, we like what we hear. I'm fine. I'm really fine. I just need to clean up before everyone gets here. Thank you. It's him, isn't it? What? Who? Ben. Did you invite him today? Things have gotten awkward. Finally told you how he felt, hmm? He didn't... He didn't say anything. It's just... complicated. Okay? Complicated doesn't make you cry. I burned my hand. That doesn't make you cry either. What happened, Julie? I think... I think we're in big trouble. Are we? I need... If I show you something... Do you promise not to tell anyone? Do you swear? Not anyone. I'm going to quote Juliet here when I say it's fine. Yeah, it's it's not as uh, nearly as, you know, uh, sinful as something like Buried Secrets or even something like Tropical Depression. But I would not say it hits the highs of the, the previous two. This is something where you could clearly tell, like, yeah, this was a deleted scene and I'm fine with it being a deleted scene. That's, Especially, that's I, why I, I would ultimately kill it with fire. I think I would I would make it the I would make it the uh, the king of fire killing <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the azora high of, yes, uh, of, yes. of the kill it with fire section well i think also it doesn't help had amelia become a bigger character i think we would look back on this with different eyes but at the time it really is just like juliet consorting with her friend maybe the the, the initial setup that it does is it sets up a little bit of the other woman Right, uh, you know, with this whole thing of things have gotten awkward with Ben really setting up the, hey, I'm going to purposely send Goodwin off to his death because you're mine type of stuff, which we'll experience very immediately in season four. But other than that, we got really the the context of the envelope from Juliet's reaction during downtown. And then obviously when she talked with Ben afterwards uh, in, in one of us. So, yeah, it's again, it's fine. I don't hate it. But I don't necessarily love it and think it's essential either. Yeah, I think it's I think it's totally fine. I think the thing that uh, I would consider 
putting tropical depression just a smidge higher, but I ultimately think let's probably keep it uh keep it at the top of the of the kill it kill it with fire heap is that like you could have tried. You literally, it's just that you had it on the editing room floor and that's what you gave us. You couldn't, you couldn't have like convinced Naveen Andrews to give us a missing piece. Like this right. is, or, or, or Josh Holloway or yeah, somebody. Quinn. You know, so I think like that, that is like one of the biggest hangups for me when it comes to, comes to this one. But I think it's probably the last of the ones that we will outright kill with fire, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm really excited to talk about this next one. It's the final one. It's written by Drew Goddard. Uh, it aired three days before the season four premiere and it is called. So it begins, which is very uh, uh, on the nose, given what happens in the missing piece, but also because it is airing three days before the beginning of the end mm-hmm. on uh, the dog nose, if you will, on the dog's nose. Uh, and it is going to involve it, uh, Vincent and dot 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 hmm, John mm-hmm. Terry, for sure. The actor, but certainly Chris- he's there. It's not not the one who stood in for him in the first four episodes. Is this Christian Shepard? Is this the man in black? Is it the island? We don't know. We'll talk it through. Let's listen in the final missing piece. Thirty seconds sound familiar. It's because they just reused the first thirty seconds yeah, of the they just pilot, pl- plugged it back in. So, um, um, interesting. So, mm. you know, one of the things for me is like we have to. You got you got to debate like if so if we're keeping in this this in continuity, right? Right. Um, 
what who is that <laughs> what who who I is see, that it's a great question because the conventionality that that usually at least what we've ascribed and what a lot of Lost fans have ascribed is nearly every time we've seen Christian Shepherd on the island, it was the man in black imbuing himself. You know, Christian's body was on there, so it was very easy for the man in black to do so. We're going to talk about this as soon as next season when he is in the cabin, yeah. uh, you know, convincing Claire to join up with him. But, but, but the dialogue I know. makes it seem much more Jacobian. Because why, well, why, my issue would be like, why tell the dog that that's his son? Why lie to the dog? <laughs> and, and also, you know, why say that the words he has work to do is interesting because that screams to me like, oh, Jack's a candidate and Jacob wants the candidate to help all the other candidates to stay alive so that he doesn't have to keep crossing names out of the lighthouse. That makes more sense than like, I don't know, would the other theory be that the man in black is like, oh, I'm I'm eyeing him as a possible person I can influence or I, right. I can really screw with him in a few episodes from now? I don't know. I think my headcanon is that this is Jacob. Man in black sees what Jacob does and is like, oh, that's a good idea. And then we get the events of White Rabbit. Mm, interesting. So that's an interpretation for sure. I think... Could it be a ghost? Could it be the ghost of Christian Shepherd? We know that ghosts are here, that ghosts are real, that ghosts are happening, that they're happening now. Um, could it be that Vincent is not unlike Hurley and Miles able to interact with ghosts and stuff? It's a good uh, question. I mean, uh, he is the only animal really to exist on the island that we know of, so it might be possible. I mean, he also comes and goes as he pleases. And I also do love this idea as well, that not only the Vincent POV, because I think it's incredibly creative, but the fact that technically it seems like Vincent is the first one to connect with the island. Like, if you, I guess if you count Locke, uh, you know, regaining the ability to walk, that's a connection as well. But, like, Vincent being able to consort with, however you want to describe it, a spirit of the island in some form, I think is a very fun idea, considering he's going to be one of the last things we see. Yes. He seemingly stays on the island. He is a part of the island pretty much at the end there. So to have him almost make his own, like, Lockean connection to the, the spirits of the island, I think is very fun. Yeah, I like that, too. Um I just, I don't really know. And I like it to be a little cleaner than, than this for me personally, yeah, it's, which it's, I. It's incredible. It's, it's ambiguous, which as much fun as it is to talk this about, that's the entire purpose of the podcast. I, I agree. I would have liked a little bit more underlining here, especially well, it's, with it's the, ambiguous with the- to the point of it feeling, um, like kind of like, uh, a, a little bit like this is just going to be tantalizing and we don't have a plan for it is, is yeah. sort of what that reeks of. You Especially know? with the, with the end game already in sight, right? Yeah, like I can imagine yeah. that the whole Jacob Man in Black stuff is up on the writers' board at this point. You can imagine they have a clear idea of what they want to do, and so it's almost like I don't know if they have an excuse at this point yeah. to put an ambiguous like, "Ooh, who might Christian Shepherd be?" Right? Uh, again, you know, we're watching this stuff for the characters rather than the mysteries. But the fact of the matter is, when there is a mystery in front of us. I, I would have liked a little bit more of a leading as to like, oh, this might be someone that's going to be very important later yeah, on. Yeah, I it agree. Is, we just don't know who. Yeah, I agree. I agree ultimately. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, I, it's not number one in my. It's opinion. not. It's not for me either. And I'm glad that we agree on that. And I think that it's not as good as Room Twenty Three. I think Room Twenty Three is just like really exciting in sort of this like propulsive, tense way. It's a, it's, um, a, it's it's a, like a mini horror movie, uh, which I really enjoy from a tonal perspective. I like the weirdness of Room Twenty Three. I think more than the weirdness of So It Begins. Yes, and I and I think that I. 
I like sort of like the the uh, the tension of Jack meet Ethan, Ethan Jack a little bit more as well. I think ultimately, uh, I I think that like they do a good job of of weaving Ethan back into the beginning of eight one five. So I I think, and maybe it's fitting that we would have the two Christian ones um, mm. next to each other. So it would be uh, the question for me would be, which do you prefer? So it begins with a watch. I think I have my answer, but I would, I would love to hear what you think. You know, I'm a big watch stand, but I think I prefer. So it begins Yeah, me too. Uh, because I think it's more again, linked to the Island proper. I really do love how it ties back into the pilot. Again, your mileage may vary as to like how much this does exactly do so. But I think it's, it's I think it's really fun how we see like the events literally right before the way the pilot opens and how even then, no matter who it is, the island has some sort of use for Jack, which is going to become very clear, especially in season six. So I think it just makes top five, baby. But I think, you know, I would love to hear people's theories about who this character is, because depending on the the interpretation of it, uh, you know, if that makes it become that much clearer, I, I'd be up for bumping it up after the fact, but I think right now this is a good place for me. Yeah, I feel I feel good about it where it lasts uh, here on on this list, and uh, look, when, when you look at it, so 13 missing pieces, mm-hmm. um, only six of which we want to destroy. Uh, okay, so and half and half is, is, is not too bad. So I think when we go through this list here, by the end, if people are asking like, hey, I haven't watched these, which ones would you recommend? We now have a list. Yeah, we've got a list. All right, so this is how we ranked them out. Uh, in last place, honorary mention actually first, is Lost Via Domus. <laughs> was the video game that Mike told us about last week. That's an honorary. Um, but as far as the actual missing pieces, in last place, Buried Secrets, Sun and Michael Almost M.O., Kill It With Fire Arrows. Uh, 12th place, The Adventures of Hurley and Frogert. Hurley and Frogert compete for Libby's affections while Libby is busy getting murdered. Kill that with fire <laughs> arrows. Um, Arston Crafts, Leslie Arst makes a big scene in front of Jin, Sun, Michael, and Hurley. While Michael and Jin have just gotten past their beef, but not really have gotten past their beef with the whole beating the other guy up in the middle of the Mm -hmm. ocean. It doesn't make sense. The continuity doesn't make sense. It's 11th place. 10th place. Tropical Depression. Uh, this is just like Arst bearing his soul. It's, it's cute, not hot. Uh, the envelope. Kill it with fire arrows as well in ninth place. It's just a deleted scene. Uh-huh. They just like put a deleted scene in here and it's great, you know, cause it's Juliet and stuff, but like, I don't know, even now it, it, talking that through kind of feels high. I don't know where I would put it, but we'll just leave it there for now. Um, and now we, we go to Guam with the rest of these. The rest of these we're going to take to Guam on the plane, Ajira, uh, 316. We're going to go, uh, the deal. This only works if you accept room 23. So it's at the bottom of our going to Guam. <laughs> pile this is michael meeting juliet moments after the events of three minutes then it's operation sleeper juliet comes to jack and says hey i'm still working with ben but i'm done with that and here's what we should do that's going to guam sixth place the watch uh this watch little man uh is going to guam christian shepherd nice guy daddy sheps gives jack a watch before the big day with Jack and Sarah. Top five baby begins with so it begins. Mm. It's more Christian. Christian, or is it? We don't Christian, know. In, in quotes. 
quotation mark shepherd uh is this christian is this the man in black is this the island is this a ghost is this sideways christian and dogs can interact with the afterlife i don't know and so like i guess i guess like you keep it top five because at least you can ask those kinds of questions that's sort of fun mm-hmm. i've heard all dogs gotta go to heaven so i, I think heard that, makes that sense too that they can consort with spirits of the afterlife number four jack meet ethan ethan jack uh, it's the meeting of the minds before the, the main event, before these two beat the ever-loving tar out of each other. Uh, that's going to be top four. Uh, top three, room 23. We're going to Guam. Walt can send birds into a window. It's very creepy. It's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, really creepy stuff. And then our top two, which we need you out there in TV land to tie break. It is the matter of King of the Castle in which Jack and Ben have a really uh, interesting philosophical conversation over chess that I agree, Mike, uh, definitely um, shadows uh, fills out a lot of like the shadows and shades of where we're going with the rest of the show. It seems to be pretty telling of some of the future direction of the series thematically. And then there's the Trisha Tanaka of the missing piece is Jin has a temper tantrum a little bit more character focused a little bit more for laughs but also has an emotional undercurrent um, and it's got island golf uh, so which one do you prefer we want to know down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com mm-hmm. currently they are the top two baby is it going to be king of the castle or king son Quan? I guess king yeah, Jin Quan. The, uh, the prince daddy prince son Quan. <laughs> prince, prince daddy Quan. I mean yeah, I guess I, he's going to be a daddy yeah, I guess he is going to a prince to daddy to be Quan. Yeah, so I guess prince daddy Quan. For those that are looking at like a playlist and they're like, which one should I watch? So that is the ones we recommend watching episodes one, three through six, 10, 11, 12. Oh, no, yeah. sorry, 10, 11, 13. So yes. one, three through six, 10, 11, 13 are the ones that we recommend. The rest you can ignore. It's okay. You can ignore them. They're fine. Um, let's move into some feedback here uh we got a little bit of feedback about all of this This is from the great dowin servo who asks were the webisodes the webisodes ultimately a success or just meh overall i think the numbers tell us mike that uh it's it's a seven out of 13 victory right or is it an eight out of uh 13 yeah so i guess it's eight out of 13 i guess the question is like you know, how many of the going to Guam ones are just sort of meh? I do think the, the the meh ones are really like the envelope. I would say the deal might be a little meh, but I do think overall it's a slight success more than it was an overall failure. Right. So uh, I think so. And like it was diverting and that was fun. I think like in an, in an alternate world, uh, like if it were to happen now, I think to bring in stuff that's a little more character focused than mythology focused and like trying to explain continuity errors. I think that would be the way that were I given the keys to it. That's how I would want it to go. Um, and that's why I think the ones that are more in that direction are the ones that are more of a hit for me mm-hmm. um, uh, as opposed to some of the other ones. But like, yeah. look, I'm glad we talked about it. It was fun. It was fun yeah, to go and through. I, and I will say what makes this unique as opposed to other lost episodes, which none of them you can really skip even the bad ones. Cause there's important stuff going on. is like, you can actually skip some of these. We just recommended yes. ones that you can skip. So right. it's very fun. It's more of a tasting menu in that regard. And I think I'm going to put a pin in this. I know we spoke it out loud, but I will repeat it again. 
Josh, I think after season six, I think we're definitely going to have to uh, go to our own little writer's room and do a podcast of if they did a missing pieces for seasons four through six, what would it be? Ooh, look at that. All right. Uh, someone remember that that's what we want to do, because uh, I'll forget for sure. Uh, but I would be very excited to do that. I think that that sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot, a lot of '70s stuff. I'm assuming. Yes, uh, this is from Ethan. Ethan writes in, not Ethan Rom. Ethan writes in and says, "I do think with this closing of the book, we are about to see more experimental stuff, which I think has led to some of the division about how the show is received. Some loving it." and some becoming lost haters. Throughout season three is where it seems there was the largest drop in the number of viewers, and we all know people say they were dead the whole time, they never solved the mysteries, etc. When the show is brought up now, did you guys experience this at all amongst your friends who watched Lost, such as potentially quitting or mocking your enjoyment, or is that more of a recent phenomenon? Um, and Ethan continues and says, I would also imagine the people who enjoyed these twists also really enjoyed the theory crafting. Were you involved or started following any of the podcasts online forums at the time? And how was that? And how does it compare to now? And I think that that question from Ethan, Mike, actually leads us in relatively nicely <laughs> to, uh, to what you promised last mm-hmm. time. You said, Hey, I'm going to look up some magazine stuff. I'm going to check out. Uh, lost the official magazine. I'm going to see if there is anything there that is worth uh, bringing to our attention because uh, we've talked about the podcasts before. We've talked about Damon and Lindelof. Uh, Damon and Lindelof. Damon and Lindelof. We've talked about Damon and Carlton. We've talked about uh, Jay and Jack. We've talked about many of the great podcasts that existed at the time. So many of the ones that exist now. Um, uh, what did the magazines teach you? Halle Berry in the sky. I can go uh, try. I thought you just said Halle Berry Neskai. And I was like, what is that? That sounds yeah. interesting. Uh, we're, yeah, we're going, we're doing a little bit of reading Rainbow here as we're going into Lost, the official magazine. Now, latecomers to Lost and by proxy, this podcast might not know if they were not tuned into the community, but between seasons two to through, uh, actually the past the end of season six, uh, I believe it was uh, Titan Industries, I believe, released 31 issues of what was dubbed as Lost the Official Magazine. That is right, folks. A periodical dedicated solely and specifically to the TV show Lost. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, getting issues of this. Like, I would be, uh, you know, out at Wegmans in upstate New York, mm. uh, which I know I'm not supposed to talk about very often. Uh, and we would uh we would go and you would see the magazine on stands and we would get it and then like everyone would like pass it around over the course of a week uh we we loved lost the the official magazine i don't have a lot of specific memories of like columns or anything but i I remember very much like the experience of being so into lost that like anything lost related we would just grab so let's talk a little bit about lost the magazine so it was first published in october 4th 2005 so that's very important to say right like this did not come out alongside the first season much like public reception the first season caught fire and then after that the theorizing i think made you know the publication think okay i think there is some juice to be squeezed out of this you know let's sort of uh get the presses going quite literally and we'll create something around lost and so it came out Every other month, starting on October 4th, 2005, which means that, you know, during the the break between seasons, there would be issues of Lost the Magazine coming out with a lot of speculation as to, like, you know, the the bits and pieces we were scrounging from interviews or Comic-Con panels as to, like, what was going to come next, which I think is very 
key, right? While this was associated around the show, I do think at the time what helped satiate Losty's, uh, you know, really craveable tastes of what we want to find out more about this show. Hey, here's a big magazine that'll come out every other month that will provide you with some details or some stuff to check out lost wise, even if there isn't stuff existing on the screen. Yeah. Um, there was some interesting stuff that I saw you uh, screenshot the other day from this. Yeah, so let's talk about some columns here. Because <laughs> uh, there was one that was of particular interest to uh, uh, to us as Survivor people. Yeah, so I'll go into... There were a lot of columns that existed throughout all 31 issues of Lost the Official Magazine. And I'll go into a few here. So one of the great things that Lost the Official Magazine had were exclusive interviews with cast and crew members. The section was always called by the fire. Like, Hey, we're going to stop by the fire and chat. They had a lot of conversations with cast members over the years. And there was also sort of like a, uh, there was sort of like a, a segment separate to that called the others that focused on a crew members. So like the first segment was like, get to know Damon Lindelof, you know, get to know Carlton Cuse. Then it moved forward to like, get to know the wardrobe designer, get to know the script supervisor, which is cool. I mean, Josh, you and I, uh, both, you know, our entertainment writers, we know how much of an iceberg uh, a piece of production is and that what you see on screen is only like a tenth of everything that happens behind the scenes. And so I thought it's really great, especially back then, to highlight sort of those unsung heroes that are just tirelessly toiling away behind the scenes. Uh, but By the Fire was always interesting. I didn't do a tally of like how many times they interviewed each of these actors. But one that always came to mind, speaking of season four, is... They do a lot of interviews with the guy who plays Captain Galt, the captain of the Kahana Freighter. Yeah. For some reason, Grant Boulder, former host of The Amazing Race Australia. For Is some reason, right? they like, yeah, they, he I used to host the first four, three seasons, I want to say, of The Amazing Race Australia, which we'll definitely get into as we get to know him more. Uh, but I always just found it so funny that they're like, we've got Josh Holloway. We've got, you know, Terry O'Quinn. And of course, our return interview with our MVP, Grant Boulder, as the captain of the kahana like he was the ringer in many occasions um that uh, grant bowler is i imagine uh gettable <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's the thing like i think that's a sign of like when they were a little short on their articles for the week like all right just call up grant bowler i'm sure we could get eke some words out of him just randomly talking even though he probably shows up in what maybe like three or four episodes in season yes. four total yeah, something not a not a ton, uh, but ha- has a lot to say about working on a boat on Lost. So we had by the fire, which was I think one of its like main calling cards, which were the exclusive interviews. Which you know I, I can't remember at the time if many Lost actors were doing a lot of interviews, but they sort of made an exception for Lost the official magazine, which shows you like how tightly knit they were with production. On that note, uh, Damon started doing in season two a sort of a Q and A process i believe he called it a uh, damon lindelof i think it's like quarantine and analysis uh which got renamed to after season two and then the swan imploded to i think just pearls of wisdom in honor of the pearl because there was no quarantine station anymore it uh it crumpled up and died uh but that was damon lindelof answering eight questions i know starting in season three uh the old pair of kitsis and horowitz sort of did like a talk back as well about all the major stuff going on so again a lot of this this crew in particular was very tied into this magazine. It was basically sanctioned by the show. Yeah, interesting. Um, so then we had 
Memento Mori. Mori, I don't know. Me and Latin, we're not friends. We're not, uh, not going to spend much time on it. We're good. But essentially, it was uh, sort of a segment that always took a look at dead characters, which was interesting of like, hey, Shannon died two seasons ago, but let's dedicate a section to remember when she existed and remember when she died. It was also a stark reminder of like how many characters, especially in the latter half of Lost, are just going to get killed off in Batch. Uh, but obviously, in true Lost fashion, a large component of the magazine was focused on analysis. So there was a segment called Beyond the Hatch, which basically went mm. in depth. Uh, every other every other issue focused on uh, a different Dharma station. So it's like, hey, let's find out about the Orchid in this episode or the Tempest. Here's what we know so far. When that sort of had run its course, then we went Beyond the Island. Which was, hey, let's go off island. Let's see. Let's talk about what happened in Thailand. Let's talk about what happened in Australia. It also went a bit behind the scenes as to like, here are some various filming locations. Uh, and then there was probably, probably the most well known analysis section was called the Dark Territory, uh, which was basically just a big what if about all of the big mysteries involved. You know, the eerie and creepiness. Who were the whispers? What is the smoke monster? How did the black rock get onto the island? That was really, I think, the main section. So there really were like two sections almost. The like out and out interviews with the voices and faces of the show. And then like the fan based speculation about everything. Yeah. Uh, It's just it's so cool. I mean, I know that this happens to a a decent degree, or at least it used to uh, like these, uh, you know, magazines that were based specifically about a show. But I love I love a show that can inspire that much like content. Absolutely. Especially like, I mean, it's a lot of content. It is 31 issues. And every year they did what they called a yearbook issue, which was 100 pages long. Uh, and some of it was old material sort of like uh, collated together. And some of it was new material. But the fact that this magazine was able to commit to four separate 100 page issues really just shows how much fertile ground Lost had. Uh, and I know that we got some screenshots uh, from April of, you know, people that held on to their official magazine uh, articles. I found a couple as well. One, as Josh mentioned, I posted in the Post Show Recaps Discord. There is one called Blood versus Water. Interestingly enough, Ridiculous. it came out, uh, you know, seven or so, I think, years before the season proper that talks about uh, its interviews with Michael Emerson and Tanya Raymond about the relationship between Ben and Alex. But I remember not to go to Survivor, Josh, but I remember when the Blood versus Water theme got rolled out. People were like, no, it's Blood and Water. What a stupid title, Blood yeah. versus Water. Uh, maybe, you know, the influence of Survivor on Lost was there from the beginning. Maybe vice versa happened eventually. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, I wonder how much, uh, this incepted probes. Uh, we do know, uh, or at least we strongly suspect a connection between Jeffrey and Ricardus. Yes. Uh, <laughs> similar <laughs> wardrobe. So maybe it's just like, yeah. oh, hey, you know what? Maybe if I unmute this show instead of just staring at Nestor Carbonell's outfits, I might be able to listen to him stuff or look at this magazine. Blood versus water. Hmm. Something's percolating in my brain. I do want to read. A little bit of an excerpt here. Um, so I'm going to go to a section called Voices from the Fuselage. The fans, dot, dot, dot. The theories, dot, dot, dot. The views, dot, dot, dot. The debates, dot, dot, dot. So essentially, <laughs> yeah. every other month uh, when the magazine came out, there would be a section specifically dedicated to, like, fans, write in with your theories. We're going to respond to them. Let's see what happens. And Josh, you know, there have been so many questions to Ethan's point as to, like, what were people theorizing at the time? Let's take a little bit of a sample. Okay, shall yeah, we? let's do it. Let's right. do it. So this is this first one's from Maria El Mercado via email. 
Uh, and so I believe this this is uh, issue 19, which I believe is post-season 4, uh, going into season 5. As I look back on season 4, I can't help but feel sad for my favorite character, Juliet. Not only was she left behind on the island after wanting to leave, quote, more than anything, but she also wasn't able to reunite with her sister, and she may even believe she sent son to her death by trying to save a pregnant woman from the island. And then there's her awful relationship with Ben. I don't see a bright future for poor Juliet in season five, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Here's one from Samantha Estrada via email. I propose Juliet Burke for island leader in the next season. It looks like things didn't work out too well for Locke and the others. Jack and Ben are busy trying to get back to the island, so there's no one better than Juliet to be the leader of the, quote, left-behinders. Should we use yeah. that term in season five, Josh, the left-behinders? Um... <laughs> Probably, right? I mean, unless something better comes along, The Left Behinders is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it evokes an episode that we're not particularly fans of, but maybe we'll uh, just co-op that term for a yeah, better use. I don't know. But, I kind of like it. Uh, and here's one that, again, connects back to Juliet, but in a different regard. Uh, this is from Jessica Coffey in Pittsburgh, PA, who I believe wrote a physical letter in. Even though we are coming up towards season five, I just want to go back a bit and touch upon the island arrivals for both Desmond and Juliet. Desmond had said that he'd been on the island for three years. Juliet also confided in Jack that she had been on the island for over three years and not in Portland. So I was wondering, when Juliet was arriving on the submarine, did that have something to do with Desmond shipwrecking there, possibly on the same day? Uh, and they, and the, the magazine at least writes back saying, uh, Juliet arrives on the island September 21st, 2001, the same year Desmond's boat crashes on the island and he starts pushing the button. Uh, so you can see here, like, a little bit of speculation, even as far back as the end of season two, beginning of season three. Seems like a lot of Juliet-centric theories for this particular issue. But yeah, you get a little bit of a taste as to what fans were thinking at the time with the wild theories they were coming up with. She's a mysterious character. Like, even the more you got to know her, you were never fully sure. Like, what's she up to? But I what's love the disparity. Like, you can see how much the, the theories range considering that the two Juliet-based theories where one was like, Juliet's going to be great. She's going to become the leader of the left behind her. Season five is her season. And then you have Juliet's not going to do great in season five. And the answer right. is really poor K. Nolo's dose. But I just love uh, the, the wide swath of opinions fans were having in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is a, there's a, there is a very good reason why all these years later we're talking about even Lost the Magazine. Yeah. You know? And, uh, to that point, Lost the Magazine transcended the periodical industry. If just for a bit, there was a book that came out, I think between like issues 20 and 21 or something called Lost Messages from the Island. It was a compilation book, uh, released by Titan Books, the same, uh, publication that put out Lost the Official Magazine. It was sort of like a nothing burger. All it did was essentially compile like the quote unquote best segments from season two's coverage of from Lost the Official magazine. But still, you know, your magazine has at least done pretty well for itself when they're able to essentially compile all these rando interviews, bind it up in a book and then release it separately. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, like there is there was a real appetite for like anything that you could like tactile get your hands on with Lost. Uh, even if like some of it wasn't great, like I have the action figures. They're not very good. Yeah. Uh, you maybe, know, like, maybe another thing we'll do along with our missing pieces post season six is get into more lost merchandise. Cause yeah, there are the action figures. <gasps> oh, Josh, I, I have, have, I have a bunch of them. Yeah. I've got, I've got that. I've got like a lot of like the illustrations on the wall. Like, yeah, I, I mean, would, we can, I would, I we would can get love into Josh that. One day I'll give when, you a tour. You know, 
when we're when we're in person and we can do an in-tour and you know what i really want us to do i would like us to play lost the board game yeah i'd love to do that as well i'd love to do that because i've taken a look at it i've never played it it seems a little like Catan-esque combined with like sort of a strategy clue-esque game, Miss Clue-esque game. So there's more Lost merchandise to explore, I think, especially as we close book two of Lost. But, you know, at this moment, as we approach season four, Lost is thriving in the form of this official magazine. And as we sort of segue into season four, one more thing I'll read is there was an article near the end, I believe, of uh, of the series where they sort of pulled the writers of Lost for their favorite scenes of the show. And you'll find a commonality here, which is why I'm stating it. Damon Lindelof said that his favorite scene is when Desmond makes the phone call to Penny in The Constant. Carlton Cuse says one of his favorites is when Sawyer whispers to Kate in the helicopter right before jumping into the ocean and swimming back to the island. And writer and producer Brian K. Vaughn revealed that his favorite scene was the opening of Confirmed Dead, stating that it's always a pleasure to write for Jeremy Davies. Josh, what do all three of those episodes have in common? They're all season four. Exactamundo. Yeah, I I have to imagine that there is some sense of uh, enormous pride in season four uh, from the writers' perspectives because it's their first foray into like endgame territory. They have to really adjust on the fly because of the the overwhelming circumstances that are facing writers during that period of time because of the the writers' guild strike. Um, and so I think that there's probably like some measure of like not. Not just like what's going on in the creative of the show, but how that's meeting the moment of like some something akin to like, uh, you know, revolution in their industry happening simultaneously. Um, beyond that, I think so as we're moving into like talking about season four to a certain degree, um, you know, I, I have said that like I really respect the people that say that this is like the best season. And I'm, lo- I'm really looking forward to watching it on like something of a tighter timeline. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it's, you know, still going to be the same deal of just like week to week to week. Um, but it's going to go quicker than any other season. It's the shortest season by far, both in terms of episode count. And then it's also it takes place over the, the quickest period of time in the show's history. Um, a lot happens. There's a lot of momentum. Um, but there's also, in my memory, uh, like a surprising amount of filler to mm. the point that even when they come back from the writer's strike and now they have to hurry things up to get to where they wanted to go, Mike, they still do a whole episode about Jack needing to get his appendix taken out. So like, you know, there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so like that still exists. Um, so I, I'm not as high on season four as a lot of people are, but yet I cannot deny some basic truths. Uh, one, it contains the constant. Uh, and if you're going to say that the constant is the best episode of lost, I will not at you. Uh, it is certainly absolutely in that conversation without a doubt uh it is it is one of not just the best episodes of lost but one of the best episodes of tv it's really really tremendous and great so it contains that um it also has the best like action movie finale of any of the seasons as far as it being like just like a propulsive action movie yeah so much happens over the course of those final three hours of the season and it's just ridiculous that they were able to pull all of that off shape of things to come i think is a next level 
little episode. Uh, really, really, really tremendous. There's just some great surprises along the way, whether it's like Saeed is working for Ben in the future and that's mm-hmm. really discombobulating or Aaron is Kate's child. Uh, like that's really intense. Um, there's a lot of moments like that, but then there are moments like Jack is getting his appendix taken out. Uh, and there's just like a couple of episodes and then it's like, oh, Miles wants to get 23 or like $3.2 million, whatever it was, you know, like, uh, like there's some, there's some stuff in here that like I both forget and also feel like the show could do without like the whole Tempest storyline, you know, yeah, the like, whole episode of Juliet tales, Daniel and Charlotte. There's, there's a lot revolving around like, can we trust the freighters? Which I think in retrospect is a little bit of a nothing burger because we know they're going to be part of the left behinders, right? Like these are people who want to cooperate with them. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for season four because, you know, Josh, I think the first three seasons, you've been able to really talk about how your personal experiences watching these in college, I think, sort of informed your initial opinions on these episodes. And I'm very happy to now be able to do that. Up to this point, I had I'm a little young and I just watched Lost, you know, with my mom every Wednesday night. I didn't really have anybody else to talk about it with. In 2007, I end up going off to college and Lost season four is seminal to me making yeah. a bond and a friendship with a group of friends that I'm still extremely close with. It's to awesome. this Lost was a show that really brought us together, and particularly that fourth season, so it holds such an incredible special place in my heart. Season four are, are many, many times I have those memories of, like, this is where I was when this particular thing happened. I can remember the people I was in the room with. I can remember the feeling that I had. Uh, it's a weird-ass season. Like you said, we talked about this last time. The propulsion... If we're talking about, uh, you know, season four being a car, we don't really get up to the speed limit, in my opinion, until really the shape of things to come. We're really revving up for those first, like, eight episodes when we're starting to, they're doing the slow drip, drip, drip of revealing the Oceanic Six, and then eventually Meet Kevin Johnson is certainly going to be one to talk about, about the decision to bring Michael back for a particular reason. But then once we hit the shape of things to come, it is just Boom. It is propulsive. It might be lost most like adrenaline packed streak of episodes. And it's propelled by just all the fantastic new characters that come as well. I've said this many times. I love the freighters so much. Uh, They they're definitely better than the tailies. And I, I still think that season three does the best rollout of quote unquote new characters. But season four comes pretty damn close. We're going to meet Daniel Faraday. We're going to meet Miles Strom. We're going to meet Frank Motherfucking Lapidus. <laughs> and Andy, he's going to be only for this season. Terrific. But we're going to meet Martin Kimi. And I, know. I love Martin Kimi is like. Kimi's, Kimi's the, Kimi is the big surprise of this crew because like he's just sort of like nonchalantly introduced uh, in the constant of all yeah. places. And I love it because he's also so different. Lost does such a great job of dimensionalizing the villains up to this point. But Kimi is a straight up like action movie cartoon villain yeah. uh, to the point where he never dies similarly. And yeah. I I like that change. You know, I think that I would not like to see more of it in the future. But what Kevin Durand and the brand he's able to bring to it is just so OTT yet so fitting in with Lost and him serving as like Ben's perennial nemesis on the island to the point where he, you know, he doesn't fall for Ben's BS. He kills Alex is just an incredible moment for the character. I think it's an incredible Ben season, Uh, you know, coming out of season three. We wonder what happens to Benjamin Linus now? The king has sort of lost his kingdom. What becomes of this man now? And I think honestly, I think of our main cast, Ben is the character to watch for season four, particularly 
his arc through There's No Place Like Home yes. is incredibly gripping yes. Yes. Uh, in so many ways. So I am so excited for that. We get Matthew Abaddon, Lance Reddick. For a minute, right? Like he's, he, he bobs and weaves throughout a couple of these episodes. Yeah, they, so I wish that they had been able to do more, but because of Fringe, it's such a weird season. But I'm so excited because there's going to be so much to discuss, even though it is the shortest season. And I have such fond, strange memories of getting to watch this season, and I am so excited to experience it. It's going to be quick. Like, I we're, am too. We're going to take we're going to take three months to get through this season. Yeah, I I got to say that like uh, I. Uh I, I am more hyped to get into it than I thought that I would be at the start of this. Like, I thought, like, when we got to season four, like, I would kind of be at a place where it's like, all right, well, let's keep going. But instead, like, I do find myself at this place of, like, really, really eager to, like, start getting into the forward momentum portion of of Lost now that we know that they leave the island and what does that look like? And then another piece of it that I'm really pumped about is channeling your, like, personal nostalgia for it, Mike, and, like, mm. getting into, like, your specific nostalgia and, like, what this means for you. Like, your your very specific enthusiasm for this season and what will that reignite in me? What will that ignite in listeners who are uh, of a similar mind? And then also for the people who are already aligned with with your take of like, no, season four is a bop. Uh, like this season is incredible. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm really pumped to, cause like I'm very inclined to just love the shit out of Lost right now, Mike. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I think that like my heart has never been more open to the fourth season of the show since the first time it aired. Um, and that's a really, really exciting place to be all these years later i'm assuming you have some associated memories as well josh because this is also a very seminal point in your life right you just graduated college and so yeah and i and this is the first season that i cover professionally uh i end up writing recaps for the second half of season four as one of my first writing assignments in my entire career um and they're not very good in fact they're like very vulgar and they're just not very good yeah i was because i would do like stream of consciousness things and like i would drop this little shit yeah no stuff like that like honestly uh because like we kind of just like we were stupid idiot kids who just sort of like wrote whatever it it wasn't very artful or good but i remember enjoying doing it very much and i remember like certain things that i learned about like structurally how to how to cover a show uh came from from uh covering season four so maybe there is a degree to which it starts to become a little bit more mechanical for me um Mm. but even then like unlike some other shows like game of thrones was never anything for me other than a job uh lost was a passion first and foremost and it never uh stopped being that um but yeah i mean it is a it is a different point in time but it was like much like uh you know the the arc of the show where uh the the people on the island get separated from one another i was separated from my lost people you know so it was it was hard it was tough it was tough to be away from the people that i that i loved so much that i had grown up watching this show with well josh next week we finally reach it, the beginning of the end. And you talk about, like, a seminal turning point in the series. We find out that Hurley can, can see and talk to ghosts. My man can talk to ghosts. Yeah. So, you know, if you missed Charlie, they give you Charlie right away. Uh, they, they, you know, they let you know, like, Hurley's going to be okay this season. He will live. He'll get off the island. That might not be great, but he's going to make it. Uh, so they, they do a really great job. I think the premiere is really, really good. I'm really excited yeah. to dive into it. Um yeah, the beginning of the end is happening next week. Mike, we want feedback. Down the hatch at Posho. Whoa, a hiccup. Down the hatch <laughs> at PoshoRecaps.com. Uh, we want to get that feedback from you. Don't forget to tie break the missing pieces debate uh-huh. for us. Uh, and hit us up with all your season four takes. It's happening next yeah, week. It's real. We're revving up the 4.2s again. So I know that we've had a couple people already send in their thoughts on season four. 
it's tough to not plow ahead. So feel free to do so and, and you know, send us your thoughts on these episodes. The Ben Behind the Curtain is doing a tireless job packaging it all and distributing it to us in a bite-sized format a la the Mobisodes. But I'm just so excited. Like, we, we are technically talking about news episodes of Lost, but, like, we're getting the gang back together in a manner of speaking, Josh. And like you said, this episode sort of lives in the shadow of, uh, of you know, through the looking glass a bit in that, like, now we find out everyone's reactions to Charlie dying, the whole not Penning's boat thing. We see 815 celebrating. And also a definitive point in the series in that, like, for the first time, really, since the caves versus the beach, we get a genuine schism that splits 815 nearly down the middle. Uh, that's going to resonate throughout the entire season, and it is meaningful. This is the most Jack versus Locke that we have had since, really, season two. But this is outright, like, these two guys are against each other, and it is going to bear fruit th- throughout the season, and I am very excited for it. Um, all right, Mike. So we got a lot happening on post show. Of course, there's the Patreon, patreon.com slash post show recaps dot com. We got games. You like games? We got games. Uh, and it's all not kinds of games. Domos, we guarantee that. Um, Mike, beyond what's happening on the Patreon, uh, I am so excited for you because you and Angela Bloom are embarking on the Bloom Files. Tell everybody about that if they have forgotten what you've got going on with the Bloom Files coming up this weekend. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're listening to this on a Friday, you just have to wait a mere 48 hours, just a couple of days before the Bloom Files drops into your lap. So if you you haven't heard the spiel before, uh, the Bloom Files, speaking of weird, freaky-deaky shows, is a show that Angela Bloom absolutely loves, uh, has watched many, many times, uh, I have not seen an episode of the show. It spooked me too much when I was a kid. And so we decided to use this as an excuse for me to engage in this content for the first time. And why not put a couple of microphones in front of us and gauge our reaction? So in the Bloom Files, every week, Angela Bloom has sort of went through and cherry-picked several episodes from the X-Files, whether it be Monster of the Week, uh, more serialized stuff, etc., we watch the episode or episodes in a couple of cases, talk about them, recap them, give our thoughts as both a veteran and a newbie to the X-Files. We've recorded a few so far, and they've been very fun. The podcast is coming out on Sunday. It's just going to be a brief intro as to the onus of the project, what it involves, you know, our own thoughts about X-Files and the legacy of the show, the characters that I am soon going to be acquainted with, etc. We want to get a lot of listener feedback involved. And also, that being said, it's very much in the style of community building, which I know is also coming to the uh, the main feed of Posha recap soon in that we hope it's it's vague it's vaguely spoiler free for future episodes so i think whether you're a newbie like me or really someone as experienced as angela you'll be able to enjoy it either way so there's going to be a feed an email all that stuff x files is streaming on hulu much like law so you can be sure to watch it if you have that service but I'm very excited for what's to come in many, many ways, Josh. I'm going to be talking a lot of funny little sci-fi projects in the sh- in the shape of things to come, and also episodes beyond that. And I can't wait to be doing it with my own partner in crime and my lovely wife, Angela Bloom. So if that's something you're really into, or if you haven't checked out the X-Files before and you, you want this to be an excuse, join us along for the ride. We've got enough room in our freighter. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be really, really great. Great ride. Coming your way. Uh, all right, folks. You know, follow at Post Show Recaps on Twitter. We always post the schedule for what's coming up. I'll spare you the details. Just go and smash that follow button. Check out what at Post Show Recaps has coming your way in the days ahead. Mike, season four. That's the next stop on Down the Hatch. You excited? 
Oh, I'm I'm very very sad. I'm doing a cannonball right now, but there's no uh, yes. there's no water oh, I nearby, wait. so I might hurt myself. I love that cannonball. All right, we're gonna be cannonballing into season four in just a moment. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye.